my go-to with cats is always euthanize. You know, just <laughs> take them out of the equation. It's legal. They can't be happy. They're cats, you know. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 52. Today we'll be covering daycare preparations, but first, the updates. Um, Mark, you guys must be full of updates because you're back off your huge trip from America to your home in Japan. Yeah, we're back. Um, And I'm sitting in my house, which feels really, really nice after, what, almost three weeks away? Two and a half weeks? Man, that's long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's good that you're happy to be back because sometimes you could miss the things in America like, you know, basic warmth and speaking fluently to people that you see. <laughs> but despite all that, you're happy to be back um, in your own place. That's a good I sign. Do, I do miss modern conveniences like talking <laughs> <Yeah>. to people. <laughs> it's like you got off Gilligan's Island just for one episode and then you wound up right back. <laughs> That's how we make yeah. it sound. I'm actually pretty happy to be back. I mean, aside from, you know, central heating and English language, it's just, oh man, it's not Seattle. In a good way or a bad way? Yeah, in a good way. It's not Seattle. I'm sure it's totally different from your experience in Kentucky, but Mm -hmm. man, Seattle is a stressful, dirty, just crime-ridden place. (laughs) (laughs) The tourism board over here. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to oversell it or anything, but don't go there. <laughs> Man, what a blow. Yeah. The good thing about Kentucky, well, at least where I was, it's, you know, we're in a small town and it's where I grew up. So I kind of know, you know, half the people there or something. Mm. So it's a pretty much just as I remember it. And it's always going to be small and feel pretty yeah. much the same way. If Seattle had retained some of that from when I was a kid and when I was like teenager and even er, like early 20s, like living there, like it would be fine. But the Seattle over the past 10 years has shifted and it's definitely not the same city. Mm. All of these businesses have moved in downtown. There's so much growth happening there. Mm-hmm. Everything is so expensive, like <laughs> when we arrived, there's a there's a QFC, which is just like a local grocery store right below the condo where we stay and i was just going downstairs to get some like really basic supplies so we could have some like breakfast and like have something to eat and snack on it was 80 (laughs) dollars. i didn't i had one bag of stuff it was barely like two meals Mm, that's wild (laughs) and i didn't buy expensive stuff like i was looking for stuff on sale it's just it's it's crazy expensive there now that's crazy. I, you know, a lot of articles have dropped uh, recently. Uh, Lake Tahoe is having a similar problem where everything's just sort oh, of yeah. purchased by billionaires. And then Austin in uh, Texas has been getting cooler and cooler every year. And then, you know, people snap up uh, the property there. And then, of yeah. course, San Francisco is like the old guard of that. And I guess Seattle, that's been happening there for, you know, at least a decade or more. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. That uh, sort of thing has not reached Kentucky yet, at least rural <laughs> Kentucky. So that's where you're still safe. That's where okay. you can buy a lot of property and wow. pay very cheap bills. Next time, we'll just go to Kentucky with you. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> uh, pick up your gun at the border. Um, you'll be safe. <laughs> that's another thing, dude. Oh, my God. There's so many people open carry. Oh, really? It's really unnerving. Yeah, we were, we went out to lunch with Moe's friends and friend and her husband and kids. And the husband just straight up open carries into a Thai restaurant, families around, no issues with it. I had some experiences with that in, um, in Kentucky. And uh, it's strange how, you know, the old saying about like boiling a frog, you know, the old gross saying. <laughs> That, I've never uh, heard this saying. Oh, yeah. It's like um, <laughs> the way you boil a frog is you put them in a pan of like room temperature water and then you just turn the degrees up one by one by one. And then eventually That's the frog will so boil to death. But, <laughs> but, but <laughs> if you have boiling water and you toss a frog in it, he'll leap out, you know. So the way that you change things is just by degrees oh, and see. then, you know, right. that sort of th- that's the purpose of it. 
it's like there's more than one way to skin a cat. It's just like a brutal <laughs> animal cruelty aphorism that we use. But um, I feel like that America's attitude toward guns has been like this uh, boiling of the frog thing where it's just been year by mm. year, degree by degree. And now everybody's just cool with it. And right. then I think in Japan, there's maybe uh, at least us living here being in this situation. Um, I've gotten used to it here. Uh, that there just aren't guns. And then I think right. Japan has always been not quite zero tolerance, but nearly zero. And then uh, America has just like turned up the degrees little by little. And now when I go yeah. back to America, it's just so shocking to me to see yeah. how it is. And people there are shocked by my perspective that there are no oh, guns. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty nuts. I used to have a concealed carry permit in Seattle and I used to own a gun mm-hmm. and at that time in my life, I saw no issues with it. It felt mm-hmm. normal. Like it mm-hmm. felt like the thing that you do, which seems weird to me now looking back, like that's crazy. Like as just a normal person, I felt like I had to have a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a wild west thing. It's like a weird mentality yeah. to be like, I'm prepared to kill at any moment. And yeah, I, I mean, cause there's no other use for it. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There was an Onion article just very recently that said new bullets approved by FDA for use on humans. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, I don't know, that encapsulates the feeling somehow. But I did, I met somebody, not to go on the, the gun tirade here, but I met uh, with somebody when I was in Kentucky. They were really interested in Japanese stuff like anime and they knew, you know, mm. some Japanese like movies and stuff like that. So they, they liked Japan and they were like nice. interested in it. And then uh, he said, you know, the only thing about Japan, though, is they really need a Second Amendment. <laughs> like That was <laughs> one of the things that he brought up kind of within the first couple of minutes of conversation. And uh, he was like, yeah, what if the emperor just tries oh, to what if the emperor tries to take over again? What are you going to do? And I was like, I, I don't this is a, a bizarre like framework of an idea what that we're working through. <laughs> and yeah, the fact that if we armed everybody, that that would keep the emperor in check somehow, it's just not the reality on the ground. It's not how it works out. Furthermore, it's the right-wing groups, I imagine, that would arm themselves the most, and they're the most pro-emperor. So I don't know how <laughs> that guy was expecting right. things to pan out, but it's like uh, it, the mentality is very, very different. Like you're not only personally ready to defend yourself, but you're also thinking, I'm going to take on the government someday. Yeah, and I don't get it because all those people were spurred on by the government. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And my final word on the gun thing that blows my mind, which we'll probably <laughs> edit all of this out <laughs> lest we get deemed like a political podcast. But um, right. there's a weird overlap between back the blue, support our troops, and Second Amendment. You know, like uh, that, yeah. that cohort of people exists in the United States. But you realize yeah. that if you use your Second Amendment rights to then fight against the government, you'll be killing troops. You know, yeah, you'll be eventually killing the police and killing troops. And that's the, you know, theoretically, yeah. one of the long term goals of the Second Amendment is that you can't do that. And you'll see bumper stickers that are pro Second Amendment, but you never see bumper stickers in the U.S. that say, like, I'm ready and willing to kill the troops. But that's like implicitly the kind of the message. And I wonder if, I don't know, I'm sure that there are ways that that disparity is kind of rationalized or thought about, but I can't tap into them. I don't know what the mentality is. I don't either. I think it's that kind of black and white concept of good and evil. Like they're not people, they're evil. Yeah. Like in that they don't see them as troops anymore. They see them as you're the bad guy. Yeah, they're going to be like stormtroopers coming in and you just pick them off or something. That is a very significant difference in mentality for sure. Mm. It cropped up more than once uh, when I was in the U.S. But anyway. On with the updates. The rest of the trip was pretty good. Flying, I got to drop a bomb on you here. So our trip was kind of, it had a lot of ups and downs. Oh, yeah. And mostly because... For the past like two plus weeks, Boy's been having morning sickness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> this is a J Pops J Pops alert breaking news. Yeah, yeah. We found out like right before we left. <laughs> Amazing. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah, we found out with equal parts surprise, terror. 
and somewhat happiness. Yeah. But mostly terror. <laughs> <laughs> Overriding emotion was terror. Man, this is yeah. the biggest, this is a total surprise to me. Yeah, I was, I was saving it up. <laughs> yeah. This is the wild thing is that usually I catch wind of stuff like this because like our wives will talk about it and yeah. I'll get tipped off or we'll discuss it in a pre-episode meeting. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> wow, this is huge news. Yeah, I uh, we made we made a point. I think we only sold a couple people just because like it's pretty early at this point. I think she's eight weeks. Oh yeah, and so she just wanted to tell a couple people to just kind of like vent and get it off her chest and yeah, get some support. But she, we were very cautious. Like, don't tell Ayumi. Don't tell Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and are, have you been cleared to share this info on the J Pops to drop it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about oh, it before. I was thinking about doing it last episode, but yeah, it just didn't work out. And then this episode seemed better. She hasn't gone to the doctor yet, though, so nothing's like 100%. So it's still early days. But yeah, we get to reset the clock, as they say. My goodness. This is just, this is great for J-Pop's content, my friend. You've (laughs) really... You've really put the podcast first. I mean, that's what we're thinking. We're just like, you know, what can we do? We got to mix this up, so... (laughs) Baby time? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you're always going to lord it over me like, well, when you have two kids, uh, ooh, everything changes. So back on no, I'll outside. just be constantly trying to like pawn one off. Hey, you guys won't, you know, you got some time. <laughs> yeah. You'll be constantly, we're, we're in store for a bunch of like four minute episodes coming up in the future. I mean, yeah, with the demands no of the free time. No kidding. I think uh, our previous guest, Casey, uh, true J-pop in episode four, he said once that when they had one kid, it's like, okay, one parent can take that kid and then the other parent could have free time or do whatever. And then yeah. two kids becomes like, nope, that's off the table now. It like takes your full attention of of both of you because otherwise yeah. if one parent goes, you're leaving you know the, the remaining parent to play zone against two kids and it's like yeah. kind of overwhelming. So he said that the demands on time, you know, with one kid, of course, it's enormous. But then two kids, it's like, okay, put everything else on pause. We've got to take care of these two kids. Yeah. And I think that's why the the terror emotion kind of came in. <laughs> yeah. those, those first few months, you're just like all hands all the time, kind of. Yeah. And then you have another one who's kind of still all hands all the time. Yeah. We're just going to be torn all the time. (laughs) Another thing that I wonder about from my own situation is, you know, I've just come back to work after a long parental leave. And in Mm. the back of my mind, I always thought like, what if my wife were to get pregnant a second time? Would I have the cojones to go (laughs) into the boss and be like, I'm taking another year off, buddy. Uh, I can't imagine that I would want to do it. I don't know. It just seems like too much of a stress on the company to go back to back like that. Um, right. So I, uh, I was wondering about you and, and your wife. Have you discussed these plans yet or what do you think you'll do? I mean, it, it's all still up in the air. It's actually one of Moe's biggest fears about the whole thing is like going into work because yeah. she's going to have to take off. Like she doesn't go back yet until March. Mm-hmm. She'll have to take off then in August. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. I mean, that's, hey, welcome back five months. See you later. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do have uh, a friend in Tokyo. um, This has been 10 years ago, but they had a kid and then the wife was pregnant again very soon after they had the kid and she strung her parental leaves together. And Mm. by the end of it, she was off like a continuous, like something like two and a half years. Yeah. Because there's a little buffer time that she used and then you can get extra time if you like, say, can't find adequate daycare services or something. Mm. So um, she had like a two and a half year break, I think. Wow. I mean, companies, it's written into law. You, they have to let you do it. So they must yeah. be expecting it to a degree. My only fear is that, you know, they she gets a little bit of that pressure, you know, the social pressure they mm. sometimes hear about here. Yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, well, maybe you should just, you know, be a full-time mom and give mm. that kind of like notion to her. Yeah. Which would make me want to punch somebody in the face. Yeah, for sure. I encountered that only a little. And I think what happens is in Japan, like a lot goes on the back of inference, you know, like 
right. the boss might say like, oh, how about this? And in Japan, that's kind of like a forceful suggestion from the boss. But yeah. I always thought in American terms, that's just like an open negotiating tactic or something you can totally bat to the side. Yeah. And um, in all my discussions with um, uh, my company, there were ideas bandied about, about like, you know, oh, what kind of time and what's it going to look like? And I don't know if those were actually suggestions or meant to be more forceful commands than they were. But in mm. the end, I was just like, I want to do this. So how can we get there? And that was yeah. kind of my position. And I steamrolled. And being American, I'm not even sure what I was steamrolling or if I was steamrolling. But I, I <laughs> suspect that I might have been like kind of stepping over like delicately worded suggestions from above. Yeah, that's definitely falls into the Gaijin smash. Yeah. Now the Gaijin steamroll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just don't even know what you're barreling through. Yeah. Um, but if you're Japanese, you must be very sensitive to those things. And so mm. then, you know, if you could go, which this is impossible, but if you could go have the discussion on her behalf, it would be a lot easier because it would just be water off a duck's back. You'd be like, here's what we want to do. How do we make it happen? Yeah. Um, but for her to be in that situation, she'll be very sensitive to that stuff. And that must yeah. be tough. I'm always pretty strong willed, though. I think once she's decided how she wants to do something, she'll she'll make it work. So. It's just like that fear of having that conversation, I think, before you go into it. There's a lot of trepidation. So Another question I have for you is, um, have you already planned like projects for the house in terms of like bunk beds or how to arrange the room? Like that must have changed oh, your trajectory for the house a lot. Yeah, yeah, it kind of did. Actually, all the fear <laughs> building up and we were going to see her mom like right after we found out. So we were like, well... We just got to, we got to ask your mom, like ask her to come stay with us for a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, cause otherwise, like I don't have time for work, laundry, dishes, cooking. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just not going to work that well. So we, we, we decided to ask her while we were over there, like if she would mind coming and staying with us. Mm. But the issue with that is I, she would totally do it, but she's got two cats, mm. which I'm severely allergic to. So we always make them stay in the upstairs guest room by themselves and just kind of lock the cats in there the whole time. But by the time they come here, Coda is going to be in his own room, which is supposed to be that upstairs room. And then we're going to have a new kid then, which is going to be sleeping with us. So then where does the mom go is the question. I'm thinking about like, okay, well, I can build a wall in that room because it's technically a double room, just doesn't have a wall between them yet. So I can build Mm -hmm. that wall. But then it's like, she's got two cats. Do we stick two cats with her in that tiny ass room? She's going to kill them or they're going to drive her crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the projects I have tossing mm. around. The other one we have like, you know, a useless tatami room. So oh, I yeah. turn that into something useful. Your tatami room is like, strangely, it's like centrally located. It's smack dab in the middle of your first floor. It was a terrible idea. It's mostly uh, it's mostly not walled in, but it's like shoji doored on what two sides or three sides or something. Three side. Well, there's yeah, there's the fusuma on one side, and yeah, kind of an open space there. But yeah, yeah that's real estate you can put to some kind of use. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Make it a like a cat cafe. Put a lot of cat stuff in there. Get some cat proof shoji. My go to with cats is always euthanize. just take them out of the equation it's legal put them down they can't be happy they're cats you know yeah i've i've been i've been thinking about different options i don't think that one's on the table (laughs) been Um, dusting off your concealed carry permit right (laughs) about those cats i don't know we even offered like we have like a little bit of land out in the back so we're like hey Mm. why don't you put a little mother-in-law tiny house back there then you can have your cats all you want yeah but that seems like an expensive ask yeah i always think in japan you know like in america you could either do it yourself or you could call some guy and he would just show up in an old truck and do it for a set price you know (laughs) in japan when you do that kind of thing it's like you're gonna have eventually 12 different engineers over to your house and there will be a series of meetings and stuff and then the price goes up exponentially so that sounds expensive on its face yeah, it'll be probably half the cost of just the house with, you know, a tenth of the space. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of uh, a lot of problems to solve, but um, 
good problems because you've got a mother-in-law waiting in the wings to help you with a lot of stuff. Yeah, she has said she'll she'll come and help us, I think, August, September. If things go accordingly, like end of September, I think, is the the estimated birthday. So that's a 2022 and a 2023. Yeah. Back-to-back babies. Breathing some new life into the J-Pops. <laughs> right. It's the way to do but, it. Uh, all of that, like, made Moe's trip in Seattle terrible. I imagine. Because she was really sick, right, with Coda. No, no. She didn't have, like, any morning sickness with Coda. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I think she had, like, a day or two where she was like, uh, I don't feel good. And then she was like, eh, I'm okay. Oh, interesting. I had it all wrong. Yeah, no. This time, it's, it's terrible. Like, every day, she's like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Like, yeah. And then, so, like plane rides, cars, and driving in Seattle. Everything's like, everything makes me want to puke right now. (laughs) Oh, man. That is rough. Yeah. And then all the food in America, which is obviously very oily or it's very like sugar heavy. None of that sounds very good to her. Did you guys have any concern about flying uh, with her being in the early stages of pregnancy? No. No, I don't. I don't think either of us had concerns about that. It was more just concerns about getting through a long ass flight with a 10 month old and then her being sick as well like mm-hmm. it's a lot of a lot of work for me like yeah <laughs> dealing with <laughs> the most selfish thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i i could see that i was looking into it uh a few years ago you know when um <clears throat> as we've talked about on the podcast before we had like six go arounds at the IVF clinic and, and that sort of thing. So over those years we had trips to the U S planned and then we were always kind of game planning, like, well, what if during this trip you happen to be pregnant, then Mm. should you go or not go? And so I started to look into flying while pregnant Mm. and, um, I really, cause you hear that as advice, like, Oh, don't fly. You're pregnant. And then it's like, what are the parameters around that? And Mm. I, the conclusion that I came to is that it's just toward the tail end of pregnancy. You don't want to go into labor yeah. on a plane and yeah. that's the danger. So it's not like, Oh, I'm 30,000 feet in the air and now I'm going to have horrible complications, you know, at, you know, 10 weeks or something. That's not the situation. It's right. just, um, don't go into labor while you're above an ocean somewhere. I was talking to a friend back in Seattle whose wife was, I think she was like eight and a half months pregnant or something. And she had to take a flight down, it was like East Coast travel, so it was like pretty close, but it's like still like an hour flight. Mm-hmm. And she she had to take it, and then they asked her like, "Oh, you're pregnant? How far along on you?" And she had to lie and say like, "Oh, I'm only seven months." Oh man! Because at a certain point, they he said the airline won't let you fly. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know how they prove it. You could just say anything. You could just yeah. say, "Oh, I'm big boned. I'm five months." <laughs> yeah. How dare you say that I'm pregnant? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty crazy. It's yeah, such a, it's a risk. I understand. And the I guess if she were to go into labor, then they would yeah. probably have to just reroute. And uh, I think, yeah, I think they just have to land, Ooh. which is funny. He said she then went into labor the next day after she landed. Oh, man. <laughs> so um, so, yeah, possible. So her <laughs> contents were jostled during flight, it sounds like. And <laughs> yeah, the baby. Episode 52, who knew that it was going to be, I mean, this is probably, I would say this is our, our third biggest episode. We had <laughs> the episodes where our two kids were born, but then this yeah. has to, this announcement has to come right behind that. That's massive. Yeah, this is pretty surprising. And it's, I think, especially surprising because, you know, like, like we've talked about before, like we've both gone through IVF and everything mm-hmm. and the doctors have told us like, there's like zero possibility of you guys naturally mm. having a baby and then just boom happens. My wife said once that she had heard that after an IVF treatment, you know, then a surprise pregnancy can come along sometimes. And yeah. this may all just kind of be hearsay or uh, yeah. the narrative works, but it's like, oh yeah, the body got used to being pregnant. It's like, I can handle that. And then the pregnancy just happens. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's like any scientific backing behind those probabilities, but I understand that if it's mostly like issues to do with the woman who's uh-huh. like having the issues conceiving, mm. but like it was totally my issue. Oh yeah. So I was the one and maybe, 
it's reverse like you know pregnancy like help my swimmers <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they got a little boost of confidence <laughs> they're like hey, yeah we can do this we can do it guys <laughs> it's like they qualified for the olympics for the first time and then right. they wound up on the podium and uh, now there's no slowing them down <laughs> or it's like when that guy broke the four minute mile and then like the next day 800 other people broke the four minute mile <laughs> those numbers are a little bit off <laughs> but, uh, i think that's what's going on yeah it could be something like that congratulations again thank um, you thank this you this is just huge uh yeah. do you want your wife to go ahead now and tell my wife or do you want my wife to hear it in the podcast and be totally shocked oh it's up to you dude oh, okay uh it's on the air now, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm-hmm. I would love her to be shocked by the podcast, but maybe for friendship purposes, <laughs> your wife should get her off at the pass and just tell her. Yeah, be a little cold to to get it this yeah. way. I think she was just waiting until because I told her to not say anything until we have the podcast. So I think okay. she was just holding off until until we talked here. Man, we're gonna have to add. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of podcast behind the scenes stuff, but you know, in our description of every episode, we say like months ten and twelve or whatever. We have to add mm. a third a third timeline. My goodness. Yeah, I know. I know. That's what I was thinking. So much to talk about. This is like, uh, <laughs> you know, I write for the newspaper, and when uh, I wrote my first article saying my wife's going to have a kid and here's the stuff that we've experienced having this kid. My editor wrote me back and he was like, this kid's going to give you so much article content. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciated that the newspaper editor only thought of things as a newspaper editor. Right. (laughs) uh, Because the thought crossed my mind, but then to have it like confirmed by him. So we're seeing this all through the podcast prism now. I'm just going to name this kid content number two. Content two. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> like the uh, most common pet name in the United States is test subject one, I think. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, we got content two coming along. Well, we can now segue into my paltry secondary updates. Uh, yeah, which yeah. Which pale in it. comparison to your updates. <laughs> but... Uh, Nico, uh, fish, he got kicked out of daycare for the first time ever last week. He got, I got called and he got <laughs> booted out of there. Ooh, just, he, oh, he turned a year old. That's probably the main update is, uh, you know, we had his first right. birthday party. We talked about that in the last episode, but he wasn't actually mm. a year yet. So then right after right. that episode, uh, he, he became a year, had a small little family party. That was fun. And mm, then, it, nice. yeah, at a year, you know. It's all more of the same. Uh, it's a big milestone. It's shocking, too, that you basically get 18 years of taking care of this child, or in Japan, 20 years or whatever, mm. uh, that you're a parent with a child, you know, and then that child becomes an adult and kind of the obligation is uh, reduced somewhat. But mm. it's strange when the kid hits a year and it, say 20 is your goal. You're like, well, I'm 5% of the way done. That's not insignificant. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> you know, that, right. that amount, that chunk of time is gone. But that was huge. Uh, but at the daycare, they have a nap time and he's been warming up toward nap time. You know, like at first he would just stay for a couple hours in the morning and then three hours in the mm-hmm. morning. And then nap time is through the afternoon for a couple hours. Actually, it's like, oh, really? Yeah. 1230 to two. They shut the lights off and put all the kids on mats and they're like, sleep. It's crazy. Yeah. So there's a good, long, healthy nap time at their daycare. And, uh, Nico's not used to that environment, you know, with a bunch of other kids around and teachers yeah. and in, a, in a classroom. And uh, he usually only falls asleep when he's nursed anyway. So he right. he needs to be a little prepped and, and pampered to get to sleep. So the first day I was like, I don't think he's going to sleep at all. But he does get tired in the day. So I thought they could mm-hmm. surprise me. And he did actually sleep, but only for about 30 minutes of the two and a half hours. And then he mm. was just like up and raring to go and they cried a little bit and wanted to play and was a squirmy, squirmy mm. fellow. So they called me in my office and I, uh, the deal is I work on campus, you know, so I right. walked down and got him and then, uh, took him back home and, uh, they were like, he, he cannot continue here today. He is too wild. Really? They'll just kick him out. What if you couldn't come? Yeah. Well, I guess it's just during this like warm up phase. 
Um, oh. It's all been negotiated, and uh, I think once he gets into the full swing of it, then he'll probably be more comfortable with the nap time. And then if uh, mm. he does go off the rails, then they'll they'll deal with it. But I think they were like, "Well, today he's, he's not having it." But he's started okay. to nap there actually, as the days have gone by. Um, mm. They have some different techniques, of course. They're childcare pros. Uh, they put him in a stroller and took him up and down the hallway, and he fell asleep in the stroller. And then they just, you know, recline the stroller and wheel him into the room. So he's been sleeping in a stroller uh, and oh. then eventually he'll graduate to the mat. But uh, nice. he slept for a good two hours the other day in the daycare, Ooh. which blew me away that he can he can just do that. That's always my concern, actually, because Coda's a real fussy sleeper and he usually likes to be connected to a person. Mm-hmm. Like he always just sleeps on my chest or something or moes. And like when we put him down, it's like we might get a little bit of time, but he'll usually wake himself up. Because he knows he's not touching somebody. I think what I tend to underestimate is the real professional skill of the workers at the daycare who have mm. done this year in and year out with like dozens or maybe hundreds of different kids. So yeah. they must just have techniques out the wazoo to to handle mm. this kind of thing. And I think um, they're better at it than I would ever be. You know, even though I spend every day with them, they'll have ideas that I would never have. Right. And uh, they can get them down one way or the other. So he just got kicked out one day, and uh, then he was back on track after that. That's good. He's he's the bad boy of the Hoiko Inn right now. He's, um, <laughs> he's rogue. So how is it being back? You're one weekend? Yeah, basically one full weekend now um, at work. The great thing about the timing of Nico's birth and the timing of Japanese semesters at a school is that mm-hmm. classes usually wrap up right at the end of January or the beginning of February. And mm. then he was born on February 10th. So that's when my childcare leave started. So then fast forward a year, my childcare leave ends just right as a semester was ending. And then typically oh. at a college, that's when everybody takes their vacations and there's nothing going on day to day. And your office building itself, you know, depending on what you're doing or what department you're in, it could be like 75% empty because everybody's like taking their vacation at the same time or something. Ah, uh, that's nice. Yeah. I go in and, um, it's just a lot of vacant space in the office and huh. there are no students on campus. So, um, it's mm. really the easiest way to just ease back into Uh-oh. it. There's still stuff to be done. You know, you work on organizing things for the semester coming up, but it's just mm. so low stress. So that's, that's why you're able to leave with him during the day. Yeah. Gotcha. And, uh, also my wife took a little bit of extra time, so she's not back at work yet. And I think the arrangement was, you know, even if I'm busy at work, they could call her and she could just come get him from home and take him back. Uh. But I'm the first line of defense there because I'm on campus just like five minutes away. So I think they call me first for things. Gotcha. Yeah. My wife's waiting in the wings and just another phone call away. Mm. And she's back at work full time now, right? Uh, well, no, she's still on her kind of transition period of a, a bit of extra time. So, oh, really? Um, yeah. She. This is pretty common. I've heard that when you come off parental leave, you take vacation time right at the beginning of when you're supposed to be back. And it sounds absurd because you've had a year off and then you have to go in and say like, could I get a couple of weeks actually and (laughs) stretch it out? (laughs) But I think it's, um, you'll be needing to ramp up things like daycare and it's helpful if, you know, if he's only there two hours a day, you can't really be going to work anyway. So Mm. it's while you're getting all your schedules to kind of coalesce, then, uh, you know, you'll take a few extra weeks. Plus while you're gone on childcare leave, you're, uh, vacation time continues to accrue at your job. So oh. you show up at work and you've suddenly got like an extra year's worth of vacation that you didn't take. And then you're hard pressed to even use it because you've mm-hmm. got like double vacation for the upcoming year. So right. a lot of people just use that right at the front end and knock out a few weeks of that um, accrued vacation time. Mm. That's what my wife's done. And it's, yeah, she's going to be back to work actually on Monday. So we're recording this on Saturday. So here in a couple of days, she'll be back to work. That'll be the new reality. And then I think April, when classes start, that'll be my new reality when I'm dealing with hundreds of students every week. And, right. you know, there's a lot of time pressure. So I still, you know, Nico's like a year and a week old now, a year and two weeks mm-hmm. almost. 
and I still haven't settled into like real life yet. It's been a nice breezy kind of introduction to having a baby for me. That's a nice slow transition then. Yeah. It's got to jump up then. Like you're going to be full time. Your wife's going to be full time. He's going to be there. What? Like nine hours a day? Something like that. I think um, I'll drop him off probably at 8 a.m. And then someone will pick him up at four to five or after. I could get him, but I'm in the office until 5.30. My wife has actually taken a bit of a reduced schedule now that she's got a kid. So I think she shows up slightly later Mm. and she leaves slightly earlier instead of, say, an eight-hour workday or nine hours. She's down about an hour, hour and a half. I think Moe was thinking about doing that too. It seems helpful just to be able to, you know, not have to have such a rush so early in the morning and then not fight rush hour traffic to get to the daycare to pick up the kid and that sort of stuff. You know, you just can operate in the margins a little bit more easily. And then my wife's mother is also on call at the uh, daycare to, you know, pick up or if Mm. there's some emergency, she can handle it. And she's retired. So she's like right on deck to be in the mix. So that means we don't have to wait for me to get out of work at 5.30, but my wife gets off an hour or two Mm -hmm. before that. Uh, The grandmother's always ready, so she might even take over one or two days a week. But in the end, he'll be there probably eight hours a day on average. Hmm. I'm a little worried about that phase. Like, I feel like I get busy at work and I don't spend a lot of time with him, but to have him like off with somebody else, Mm -hmm. living a whole new life without me already... Yeah. It just kind of scares me. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because I've noticed, you know, you notice the reaction in yourself to um, like you take him to the daycare and you have to drop him off. And at first he didn't really even notice that I was leaving. It was just like, oh, new toys, new people. And he was grabbing at stuff. And then I would say bye and walk away. He didn't even care. But now (laughs) he's more in the routine of the daycare. So every day when I take him now, he kind of like holds on to me and like lays his head on my chest and he doesn't Uh want to be given over to the daycare. And um, it seems sad from the outside. But I've never really felt sad about it, like to leave him, even if he gets fussy Mm. and cries and is trying to hold on to me. Because for me, at least, there's this overriding feeling of like he's getting socialization. He's getting Japanese here. He's being around uh, other adults as well as other kids and like getting all these different experiences. Plus, they're giving him like foods that we wouldn't normally give him and stuff like that. So Mm. I feel like his horizons are so broadened. Uh, when he's there, that it's so much in his interest to be there that I don't really feel bad even if he cries when I have to let him go. It's like the, this is for your own good, really takes over in my mind and and he does it. Can I step back for a second? Yeah. You mentioned foods. Yeah. And I was curious about this if you got, when you guys were in America too, were you buying like the pre-made foods, like the Gerber pasta dishes or whatever they are? Generally, my wife would uh, puree like oh. various foods and sort of make them from fresh ingredients. And it's as easy oh. as, uh, you know, they make those special blenders that are just yeah. for baby food, tiny yeah. little blenders. And we had one of those. And um, you chop mm. up a carrot, you pop that in the blender, you puree it, and then you get like, I don't know, 12 or 16 tiny ice cube sized servings of carrot. And I then gotcha. you just, yeah. uh, you know, freeze those and, and keep them okay. coming for the next several days. So it's kind of the same as Japan style. Yeah. But actually, now that we've been back, uh, my wife bought loads of pouches of just different sort yeah. of meals. Um, and you just pour those over rice or you, uh, yeah. you know, break up some bread and little chunks yeah. of bread. You pour it over that. So we've gotten into the uh, the prepackaged foods. And that's mm. maybe about half the time he's eating that now. Well, in Japan, we do that probably maybe a little less than half. Usually Moe does the blending, mixing, freezing method Mm -hmm. that you were talking about. But in America, we brought some of those Japanese bento like meals with us Mm -hmm. just to carry us over for the first couple days. And then we were going to like switch over to the American ones. But in America, they're all pasta. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Like everything is just a version of pasta. For kids like they don't know what else to feed kids at like yeah. nine to 12 months so it's like oh here's here's your macaroni and something or mm. here's your spaghetti and something which is like jesus christ this kid's just eating pasta yeah it's uh definitely more variety in the japanese pouches um i've never shopped for them but we have a quite a stock here at the house 
Oh yeah, I go all the time. They're great. You can get anything, any flavor you want, even pasta. Yeah, we even <laughs> needed to, um, you know, at the daycare, they want the kids to have eaten things before they eat them at the daycare mm. for the first time to, you know, take the precaution about allergies and so on. So, uh, like one thing is, you know, they'll give them curry. So they were like, be sure your kid can eat curry. It's like oh. not even a year old. I think I was 23 the first time I had curry. <laughs> and, uh, but we got the baby version of mild curry and poured it over some rice. And he's just like, he's at a Cocoichi bond. He's just eating away nice. his tiny bowl of curry. So there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's, mm. it's kind of unlimited. Okay, well, I was just curious about that. Well, with your massive, massive update and the uh, conversation mm. that it spawned, we should forgo segment time for today. And yeah. um, we can get Running into a little the, long. Yeah, we can get into the home stretch and well worth it, might I add. I mean, <laughs> huge. This is like, it's like Christmas <laughs> Day or something. It's like just the surprise of it. Blown away. You're telling me. <laughs> uh, but we can, uh, we can fire off. We got some japati, the japati time. Potty this week, I have a mini quiz for you based on right, the right. baby talk onomatopoeia I have in this fancy little book I found called Say It in Japanese. And uh, I've had this book for a few years. I never really look at it, but if you're ever confused about a Japanese saying or the way that you're supposed to respond, I'd say this is a pretty good book because it gives like an illustrated way to kind of go through things hmm. and it has a small section on baby talk which uh it gives six different sayings that a child will potentially say in japanese i'm going to quiz justin to see if he can figure out what the baby's trying to say with these things excellent uh so the english equivalents what are those and i'll write them down okay so the english equivalents would be car hug me or carry me Feet or legs or walking, standing, peeing, or food or meal. So feet, legs, walking, that's all one. And then standing is a different one? Yeah. I wonder, I'm just going to try and guess them before. Oh, wait, but are these, these are onomatopoeia. Kind of, yeah, kind of. No, some are based on words, some are just, seems random to me. Okay. So like car is not just going to be like, Karuma desho! (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be like a baby's version of that, I guess. Yeah. All right. Okay. You ready? Yes, sir. The first one, Anyo. 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 A-N-Y-O. Anyo. Yeah, there's a little apostrophe they write in this book. A-N apostrophe Y-O. Anyo. Anyo. Interesting. I know that there's, this is not going to be it, but in Kanazawa-ben, like the local Kanazawa dialect, um, Anyato is a version of Arigato. So oh. you can say thank you with anyato, but that's not anyo. Uh, car, hug me, carry me. No, feet, legs, walking, standing, peeing, or a meal. Wow, this is difficult. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, I mean, I just think that uh, feet, legs, or walking, there's ashi, for feet and legs, walking is like aruku, so there's that ah at the beginning of those words. So I'm going to guess that anyo is about feet, legs, or walking. Wow, well done. Boom! Nailed it. Nailed oh, it. Dialed in. Okay, touchy. Okay, let me see, let me see. Touchy. Touchy, touchy, touchy. Um, okay, that has to be, uh, the verb for to stand is tatsu, so I'm going to guess touchy is kids' way of saying standing. Oh, nice, man! You're gonna, you're so good at these. Ha And tachi might even just be regular Japanese for standing, isn't it? I think that's like a real Is it? word. Yeah. Tatsu. So. Tatsu. Tatsu, and then if you convert it into a noun, tachi mm, means standing. Maybe. Next one, mama. <laughs> mama, mama has to be meal. Oh, nice. Yep. My reasoning is, uh, you know, I think it, it's the reason people say mama in all languages. It's like your mouth makes that like mama yeah. mama when you're mama. trying to, you want to nurse. Eat. Yeah. Uh, boo-boo. Boo-boo. Okay. Uh, I think boo-boo is a sound effect for a car. 
Uh, yeah, that's it. All right. And boo-boo is like uh, the Japanese sound effect for a car going, I think, like where we would say vroom-vroom or something. I think so, yeah. Yeah, because I've heard adults use this. Yeah, I've seen it on uh, – there's actually a magnet on my in-law's fridge, and it's a car, and it says boo-boo on the side of it, which uh, yeah. strikes me as strange. But anyway, boo-boo. Uh, this one you'll probably get very easily. Dako. Oh, good. Dako is the uh, the word for to be held or to hold, so it's hug me, carry me. Yep. And then the last one, chichi. Chi Chi has to be peeing. Chi uh, Chi also yep. is like kids' way of just saying penis, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, Chin Chin or Chi Chi. So peeing is very direct. Yep. Good job. You nailed all of them. Man, I'm surprised at myself. Uh, yeah, give us the rundown one more time for a recap. We've got Mama, Tachi, Dako, Anyo, Chi Chi, and Boo Boo. Well, me quiffy. I've got a question for you today. Um, This is uh, something I've noticed myself doing, and I'm wondering if it's a problem or not. But my question is, do you try to avoid sarcasm with your baby? Mm. My simple example that's not harmful or anything and not abusive, but, uh, you know, if like, Nico's being a little fussy or something, then I'll sometimes say like, oh, do you, is it that you have too many toys? <laughs> Are there, <laughs> is the house too warm and you have too many toys to play with? <laughs> or like, is the food too delicious? He doesn't like this delicious food, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it's very, you know, lighthearted and simple. But then from a kid's perspective coming up, it seems like you might want things to just be very earnest and cut and dry so that they can understand mm. it and not try to inject this kind of passive-aggressive, sarcastic humor. So do you have opinions on, is it bad to have like even that level of sarcasm, and do you try to avoid it? Mm, yeah, I I don't think anything's really like black or white like that. Mm-hmm. Like to say like, no, don't ever do it, or yes, it's fine. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's very good. I try to avoid it as much as possible mm-hmm. when it's not like in a playful way, like... You know, like you were saying, I think that those examples are probably fine. But mm-hmm. like I've seen other parents and you're just like, are you really being that sarcastic with your kid right now? Like, yeah. they're not picking up anything that you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think in those cases, it's like, yeah, don't be a dick to your kids. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, a little playfulness, because I think that teaches them like, you know, eventually like, oh, OK, well, this is just joking around. So that's OK. I've often thought this as a teacher, um, you know, I've got students who are by and large, they're all Japanese. I mean, 99% plus of my students are Japanese Mm -hmm. and therefore they're obviously not fluent English speakers. And so sometimes as a teacher, you're tempted to either, I don't know, make a joke or then say something that if you were with your friends, it would be like, oh, this would be the perfect thing to say right here. But then right. you realize in this classroom full of kids, I'm just saying it for my own benefit because there's no chance yeah. that any of these kids will get it. Um, even if you're in an American classroom teaching a different subject, like you could make that joke and then build rapport with your students and have a good time. Yeah. Uh, it's just like when they're not going to understand, there's no point. So then you start thinking like, is there any purpose to what I'm saying or what I want to say? And then mm. I tend to start uh, censoring that kind of stuff out of my you know spiel in the class or in my lesson or whatever and i try yeah. to be pretty direct with those kids so i'm thinking that that lesson kind of applies to the the baby as well because the baby mm. just has no frame of reference to to get this or that or understands like oh he's saying the opposite of what he means you know and right he definitely needs exposure to that at some point just to get it as a joke and you know kind of function on that level but um at one year old i'm really thinking like, man, I shouldn't be saying this stuff. I should, wouldn't it be nice to just be really forthright and earnest with your kid all the time? And maybe your kid mimics that. And (laughs) then you don't have this like jerk of a four-year-old who's always, you know, like trying to pop off at the mouth and say wild stuff. I mean, because that's the fear. It's like you're training this kid to be a little jerk. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You don't want the weapon pointed back at you. That's right. uh, And that's in your future for sure. Back to the Second Amendment. Yeah. 
<laughs> the Japanese Second Amendment would be mostly about sarcasm, I think. Like, you yeah. have the right to be sarcastic if you want. Is there a lot of sarcasm in Japanese? I mean, obviously, like, I don't speak it well enough to hear it in casual conversation. But, like, Japanese speakers who speak English, to me, I've found they don't get the sarcasm. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that's, like, a lack in, like, the English ability more than a lack in the sarcastic ability. I think it's both of those things. I think it's twofold, that issue. Um, Uh One is that I think there's much, much less sarcasm in Japanese as just a mode Mm. of humor. Because it's kind of rude. Yeah, (laughs) it is. And it's just, it's a style of joke in which you say the opposite of what you mean. And if that hasn't, I mean, that caught on in America in a big way. But Mm. um, like, I think there is still more sincerity and earnestness in in Japanese. I mean, they they veil feelings in other ways with like polite language and talking Mm. around things. But just straight up sarcasm, I don't think is much is as much a part of the equation in Japanese Mm. as it is in English. But then the second layer of it, as you said, was like, if you're doing something in a second language, your brain is using all of its RAM to just figure out what the hell is being said. You know, right. <laughs> and then there's not much processing power left over to then analyze it further and say like, oh, did they actually mean the opposite of what I just worked really, really hard to understand? Yeah. So you would be <laughs> you'd have to be some kind of genius to be filtering it all that way. And then mm. if your first language doesn't have those cues to begin with, it's just like, I don't know, I think sarcasm is like uh, America's Kago. You know, it's like this extra (laughs) layer of something that doesn't exist. And it takes a high, high degree of fluency to become familiar with it if you're Japanese and then trying to pick up on it. I think that may be the most accurate statement about America. Sarcasm is our Kago. Yeah. If you go anywhere in the service and deal with like service people, waiters or like staff at any kind of business, you're immediately greeted with this person who's unhappy to be there doesn't want to see you and will probably say something that doesn't say welcome (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure it's weird because that in japan i mean they layer that on in the service industry as well Mm. but there's some type of like like there's they're imitating genuineness at least even if they don't feel it they the intention is there yeah Yeah. imitate it perfectly and then in the u.s you may get that, but also in the U.S. it could easily slip into like, I don't know, it's just all that like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, like that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's everywhere. It's like half of what we say. Yeah. It's the opposite of the meaning. And then when, you know, when you're studying a language, you're studying meanings and working really hard to retain all those. And then mm. we just flip it all on its face. So that's very difficult. Yeah. Well, good question. We can uh, dip into dad jokes. I only have one dad joke today. I got two. Okay. Okay. So you do the honors. Okay. Imagine if America switched from pound to kilogram overnight, there would be mass confusion. (laughs) That's true. There would be. There would be. Uh, That joke is like somehow a carbon copy of the joke I'm about to tell. I don't know. Oh, shit. (laughs) It's totally different, but it works on the same level. Okay. A thief stole the wheels off my car the other day. I've been searching for them tirelessly ever since. (laughs) Nice. I like it. It also hits home because I've had people steal wheels off my car before. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you can laugh about it now. Thanks to that dad joke. Yeah. Uh, Why do cows wear bells? Um, I don't know why. Because their horns don't work. (laughs) Beep, beep. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at thejpops.com. Talk to you next time. Pizza time.